Sure. Okay. Cut the joke out about Ukraine. The point being that... Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of The Problem with Reading. I'm Brevin. I'm Steven. And I'm Sam. And we're coming at you with a bit of a special episode. We're not quite ready to jump into our big book of the year, which shall remain nameless for now. Uh, It'll remain a big, big big secret until the intro episode here in a few weeks. Uh, But that did get us all thinking, you know, what else are we reading because we read stuff for the podcast we read stuff for the podcast i know the only time i basically read an article these days is to find something to read for the podcast that doesn't quite seem right so i so i wanted to talk a little bit about book lists and we all have book lists we all have book lists right boys oh absolutely mostly to generate content for the podcast but occasionally just for ourselves no i i have one it's it's way too long and unwieldy but i've got one and that's what everyone says i was like oh yeah i have this book list it's super long it's like oh i'll I'll," or if someone gives you like a really good recommendation or like a really emphatic recommendation you'll say okay i'll put that on the short list so that just got me thinking you know what are these short lists what are these long lists and i figured that we could just talk through them uh because if the problem with reading is that it's hard and it takes a long time you know it, it might do to do some strategizing around what's on the list of the things that we actually read before we do that though sam what are you drinking uh right now wow that was uh just some anticipation of that uh a pour of johnny walker red label all right mr steven well i uh, i went to the store to make sure i wouldn't have anything boring to drink and was going to get some of our favorite bourbon unfortunately i found out that the store in my neighborhood doesn't have its liquor license apparently so we are sticking with a uh, good old-fashioned merlot all right and as for myself i have a nice glass of uh spicy ginger beer that i have brewed myself with some nice thai red chili peppers i to make it sort of properly sweet in the bottle would have been a lot of work and i'm lazy so i it's extremely dry but i just put in like two tablespoons of sugar into each glass and then drink it after i do that and that works out pretty well so here we are but yeah sam you said that your reading list is very long tell us a little bit about this list how do you how do you manage it yeah i mean i i saw it in goodreads like a lot of people actually are are you guys on Goodreads? I don't think I follow either of you if you are, which would be hilarious. No, no, this is a good question because I tried to get into Goodreads a couple years ago and tried to like start catalog- like cataloging the things that I already had read. I'm like, all right, let's get this up to date, blah, blah, blah. And it, it was just so much work and so much uh, hassle to like pull it all together that I gave up. So I don't use Goodreads or any other electronic uh, way of of doing it beyond like the sticky notes app where I'll just like jot down random books or other documents where I lose track of them. Yeah, similar. My uh, I remember like early, early COVID, my boss recommended that I look into Goodreads because he was, I think he was reading all the autobiographies of the presidents or all the biographies of presidents. Um, and so he was like, oh, see, you should do this and you, you should keep us up to date because you read interesting things. And I got it. And I think I wrote a few reviews and then just didn't really see the point. And so pretty quickly gave that one up. Yeah. So I, I mean, I have not managed it well for the last couple of years, but I like it only to keep track of, um, of a reading list. So people recommend things and you can, you can put it in the reading list and I've got items in there from years ago. But even as I was going through it, like Brevin, you asked the question of what we wanted to read this year. And I was going through that and there was, there were a couple of books in there where I'm like, yeah, I should probably actually get around to this. And so I put it kind of 
moved it back up in priority. Um, I also like it for keeping track of where you are in, in your current reading, especially if you're juggling multiple books. That can be nice. But like, I do not put much stock in like what I have read. I, I know there's a lot missing there. But I don't know if that's how I manage it. I do not do a good job. But and, and that's why it's unwieldy is because similar to Brevin, I also have notes and sticky notes places and uh, and books I've told people I'll read that I didn't document anywhere. And then they ask me how it's going. And I have to confess that I have no idea what book they're referring to. So see that you guys have any sort of system at all of tracking is impressive because me, I just have vague ideas of books I want to read soonish or sooner rather than later or eventually. So I like I, I don't think I've ever kept a like distinct track of things I am going to read um, in, with any sort of temporal notion. I think the other sort of like most particular tracking mechanism of books that I think that I want to read is if when I've heard the pitch, I will just go and put it into, you know, like a, an ABE books uh, cart or an Amazon cart, uh, which unfortunately are mm -hmm. the same thing. Um you know, and or just straight up buy it, just like buy it. And then it just will sit around and, until I end up picking it up. Like that's that's the ultimate expression of I want to read this and sort of everything else that doesn't fall into that level of it of um, reading necessity um, sort of falls by the wayside. Or I guess the one other exception to that is if I ask uh, Anne to pick me something up from the from her, uh, you know, with her academic school library access, which is I don't have anymore, which is unfortunate. Pause there because I do that too. Is like if somebody records very emphatically, or like if I'm if there's a book about something like like both my wife and I are interested in learning about, so we want to I don't know we 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 want to both read the book. Like I'll just go on Amazon and buy it, and it's here in two days, which is just such a strange relationship to books. Um, I have thought about that a little bit. Do you do you find that a little bit strange? Like something it's a good enough pitch. You're like, okay, for 15 bucks, I can just have it and it's done. Like no more going to, to, uh, to Borders Books to find it or going through the used bookstore to find it or anything or even renting from the library. You just buy it and it's done. And that, I definitely noticed that sort of ability where, yeah, someone pitches a book to me and I'm like, oh, that sounds great. I can go on Amazon and get it and have it, no problem. But um, I have found it has made me, if anything, appreciate used books a lot more um, because it, take, it, like, it takes more time to acquire. Um, and there's something about the history of a used book that I deeply appreciate. I, in fact, I, I, I prefer used books that are marked up because I think it's fun to watch or to kind of read through it and see what other people found interesting. Um, so if anything, that's made me appreciate used books more and kind of the process of getting a used book. Although admittedly, I don't go to used bookstores very often at this point. Yeah, something, something, don't do as we do, but do as we say, go to your local bookstores and buy books. Unless they're, you know, all like, I don't know, either communist or fascist to, you know, balance things out rhetorically. If they're those, don't feel obligated uh, to go. Well, you to can buy one bookstore. from each and be fine. Uh, is that how that works? That's that's liberalism, Sam. Sam's like <laughs> one from each. <laughs> Perfectly balanced as all things should be. All right. Well, things that are not balanced are short book lists and long book lists. So, Sam, you mentioned, you know, if someone recommends a book to you or if someone recommends a book to me, I'll say, all right, I'll put that on the list. I just had that happen to me, you know, just a few days ago. I was like, oh yeah, you should really read Walker Percy, as it turns out, and. Uh, the person on the receiving end of said recommendation was, oh yeah, I'll I'll put it on the, the list. So my first question, does that mean anything? Or is that right just now. a polite rejection? It's not a polite rejection. I think there's intention behind that. But at least right now, for me, it does not mean very much. I don't know. I'm not, hopefully not, none of our friends are listening because that seems really cruel. But yeah, not really. If someone gives me a book 
typically I'll take pains to actually read it. But if it's not important enough, and, and this, yeah, this sounds crass, but if it's not important enough for them to like actually give it to me, it's just something that they give a generic recommendation. Maybe if they really pitch it hard, I'll consider it. But for the most part, it's sorry, my list of things to read is already a mile long and I'm not making any progress. So probably not. Yeah, that's fair. I think I would also very much say if someone gave me a book and said, you should really read this, there's a really good, there's a pretty good chance that I'm going to crack the covers. Otherwise, it's more like an acknowledgement that this is a good book in the universe of good books. And should I see it in a used bookstore for $2, I'll get it. Uh, but Stephen, you you said uh, that your, you know, that your list is so long, and you're not getting us and you're not getting to everything on it. And you'll never get to it all. Tell us a little bit about the characteristics of the books on your long list. Or just Certainly. But first, I guess I, I do want to circle back. There was one time that I did read a book that was recommended. Like I went, I bought it. It was House of Leaves. One of my coworkers uh, recommended it. And I guess I've regretted it ever since. So, you know, what can you do? Uh, terribly overrated book, in my opinion. But what's a long list? So, I mean, I, I say somewhat tongue in cheek, but for me, like the long list or the like, yeah, the long list is typically books that are long. Like, I know that it's going to take me a good amount of time to do, and therefore I'm like, I'm not necessarily going to be chomping at the bit to, to get to it because I know it's going to take up a sizable portion of my time. Um, so also typically it will be, or the, the long list is kind of what I reserve for. I've heard good things about this author and I either want to check this author out or I already have an author in mind that I know I like and I want to kind of exhaust the list. Um, so, for example, I've read, I think at this point, a sizable amount of both David Foster Wallace and uh, David Bentley Hart. I have a thing for authors with in three initial uh, names, I guess. And intense narcissism. I mean, you know, they deserve it. Um, we, David Foster Wallace did not have intense narcissism. Get out. DBH. What are you? What? DBH totally did. DF Dubs. No, he actually wasn't that much of a narcissist. He's in denial. Have you listened to This Is Water? It's all about not being a narcissist. Yes, but we both agree that that is the like what he's pointing to not not what he actually does you hurt you hurt you hurt anyway don't say that about david foster wallace i think you bring up a good point uh in terms of authors to you know sort of check out like oh yes i like all of the people that i like to read also seem to have read or or cite this guy like that's definitely a category of book and exhausting uh a particular author for sure it's like i like walker percy i'm not i've read some of his fiction i like it less than his nonfiction. you know in an ideal world, I, I would read all of his his fiction too, just because, you know, sort of out of respect almost, but unless that is like absolutely dropped in my lap, that's like not a priority by any means. The other thing that I think for me falls on in the long list category is aspirational books. So sort of like more like this is the Western canon or like I am aware that, you know, having never read, oh man, I just forgot his name, which just bodes absolutely well for it. Someone else. Taylor. Uh, Tolstoy, Tolstoy. Oh, Tolstoy. You've never read Tolstoy. I've never read Tolstoy. And I'm aware that that apparently, you know, is a deficiency as a human being, uh, among other authors, you know, like all the ones that are typically cited as like, these are the the best novels, the best books that, you know, help create a well-rounded liberal artsy type person. There's a vast chasm in my education, uh, because I went down the creative writing route instead of the actual proper English literature route. So like those are the ones that are in the long list. Like these are books that I know that I should read, but I feel obligated. But because the one, it's not interest, it's obligation. And also the fact that there are so many, it's just, it's an exhausting thing to even think about. If it makes feeling better, I haven't read Tolstoy. I think uh, Death of Ivan Illich was Tolstoy. So I guess I've read it. It was Tolstoy. All right, well, if that's about Tolstoy, uh, I have read that. Yeah, I mean, 
and I don't know, it, maybe these, these categories are the long list versus short list. Brevin, I might not be understanding what you mean by that, but I would probably agree that like my long list is so long. It's lots of books that have been like given to me or I've acquired from like various pursuits. So it's like all the Western canon of philosophy and then all the greats of the English language and all the new cool books that came out five years ago that like I should read. And it's like more than I could possibly get through. And also like critical books, like a secular age that I want to get to. Like those, I think would all fall into this long list of like, I eventually want to do that. That is also compounded by a category of books that we haven't addressed, which is rereading books, um, which feels like its own thing. Because like, I mean, we've I, like, like After Virtue, I mean, if you go listen to the early parts of this podcast, I had no idea what I was doing reading After Virtue. I mean, it was, it was fascinating. But like, I spent most of that like kicking and screaming until I got to the end and was like, oh, I get it now. And after marinating in this world for, you know, five years at this point, I really should go back and reread it because that book has had so much impact on me, but I've only read parts of it, you know, for for papers or for projects here and there. Um, so that would be, you know, one. But that's that's a project, right? That's a project book that people should read regularly, but it would be a couple months to really digest it. Yeah. And that's a whole other philosophical question of justifying rereading books that you know for a fact are good versus like, ah, oh, yes, but there are so many other books that are theoretically good that mm -hmm. I also should read. But then to move into the shortlist, what I meant by that as a concept is those books that are either sort of meets the categories that we've already talked about. So like a gift book, for example, where you're like, all right, I guess I should try and read this and see what's going on. Uh, or um, short books here as well, books that uh, you know, don't don't take too much time. So it's, you know, making them jump all the way to the front of the queue doesn't feel like too much of an imposition on the the massive mountain of the long list standing behind them. Um, but yeah, but then the other uh, thing beyond that, the 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 short list, which I think maybe Stephen, you've, you've had this experience too, is almost like a short circuit list. And this is when I'm trying to decide on a book to read or like I feel like I should be reading a book and instead of going to my shelf and all the books that I haven't read there or to the long list and like all right let's get this from the library and actually do this instead I just you know turn off all uh, sanity temporarily and just like grab like a short uh, a short like randomly compelling book uh, from like one of the little free library stands that are all over my neighborhood and the most recent time that this happened I got just a little slim volume I'm pretty sure it, it was self-published but I, I think it's gotten maybe a little bit famous since it was published uh, and it was called and I read it all the way through in like a in like one afternoon and it was called Confessions of a Murderbot. And it is like an AI security robot that is actually sentient and disconnected from all like, you know, don't kill humans without proper justification controls. But his human handlers don't know that. And he like is like fantasizing about murdering them all, but actually just like watching TV shows instead because he's bored. Uh, and then, you know, there's this big adventure and conspiracy and then blah, 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 blah. But that sort of like I, I had no reason to read that. And there are other examples of just horrible random sci-fi fiction that I'll pick up instead of reading anything worthwhile. But that's that's what I is like my short circuit list. Stephen, have you had this experience? Well, so I it's interesting. And you know, I in our notes I have like kind of the, the different examples of like things that can can easily make its its way into short books. And I and I put put under that category spontaneous, but pretty much it matches exactly what you were describing. So the other day 
I wanted to read something and I had seen one of my roommates left the turn of the screw lying around and I was like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. I haven't read horror in a while. Yeah, I'll pick that up and read through it and it's I'm, I'm halfway through it. I, I didn't get through it all in the, in the one day and I haven't picked it up since. Um, so that I think that's probably the closest experience I've had to what you were describing where basically, do I have plenty of other things to read? Yes. Should I be reading those other things? Probably. But cool, that 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 book looks awesome. I'm going to go read that. Yeah, see, maybe I operate differently with this. And this might be also my my generational affliction with procrastination. But it's that's a hereditary trait. But uh, also, it's like, I'll, I'll get a book or or find one that I really want to read, buy it even, and I'll start reading it. And my thought is, okay, but all the other books I'm supposed to be reading right now is it's like, maybe it's a, a holdover from from college and I know we're going to talk about this in a second of like properly syllabus sizing or reading but maybe it's a whole over from college where like you're always supposed to be reading something and so I think that in my head I'm thinking I'm always supposed to be reading these long list items I'm supposed to be you know digging into a big hefty book of philosophy or you know reading um Tolstoy because that's what people read um they got halfway through war and peace and loved it um you need to finish it but um and then so i'll start reading something light and enjoyable and then i'll get something else and i'll be thinking well i should be reading my light enjoyable book so i can finish that so i can get to the real book and it just is a never-ending cycle that kind of keeps going all the way down do you guys relate to this or is this just some weird neurotic tendency no i i definitely get that there there are times where i very much i i do feel that kind of compulsion of no i should be reading kind of serious literature or philosophy or theology or, or what have you like really kind of stretching myself kind of pushing the brain and then there are other times where it's like well now i do a lot of cerebral stuff already maybe just have some fun light pleasure read i think the last time i tried that was um rereading the harry potter series and i made it through like the third book and gave up because i found myself sympathizing more with snape than anyone else um which was probably not a great time oh. <laughs> um, we're old guys or at least i'm old um but no i i, I definitely get that um it, it, basically the, the the list keeps growing and growing and i keep wanting to read the more intense stuff that takes forever to get through and therefore uh yeah things have a habit of of uh i don't know getting getting in the weeds yeah i don't relate to that at all i think you guys are just psychotic or something but let's move on to the uh next topic which is what what sam mentioned which is uh you know successfully syllabusing oneself you know you have a topic you have something that that you want to read have you ever been able to you know successfully like figure out what the books are in this category to almost become mini expert or at least a well-read person in that subcategory uh like one would in a college class have you guys ever successfully done this i think with authors maybe so david bentley hart and david foster wallace would probably be the two where i just went complete obsessive read pretty much everything I could get my hands on with those two authors. Um, I don't think I exhausted either of them, but Not I got close. pretty close with David Bentley Hart. David Foster Wallace, I'm still a little bit ways off. Sam? I don't think I would. No, I don't think I have. I mean, outside of a college context, I think it's always been pretty scattered or hmm. like I have one off. I can't think of a time when I've really, yeah, when, when unforced, I've liked to become an expert in a topic via book. My okay, so so my two examples were both under COVID times when basically there was just like the library, and uh, I th I think they would mail you books for a little bit there because they wouldn't they didn't want you to go in, so you could get books mailed to you at least in Boston. And I read through I think two or three books of David Foster Wallace essays, and that's where I first really in encountered him. But the more significant one that I did was read through 
let's see, four or five novels in a row of uh, Chinua Achebe, the Nigerian author. And I really liked that. That was just really fun to be able to see someone over the course of their career and, and what they're writing. So that is something I don't think I could do that with something like philosophy. I think that would be too much. I think that would be too dry. And without someone to break it out and put it in, you know, nice bulleted lists and uh, context for me. But I think with fiction, that would be an interesting project um, to to go through someone again sometime. In the next few years, I'll put it on my long list and see what they have. But we've mentioned many times, you know, the books on our shelves that we've read or or haven't read. I'll just share first. So in my house, most of my books are in my office. And then sort of my my shelves are, are organized vaguely as top shelf is my favorite philosophy uh, and theology people. That's that's the top shelf. Uh, so that's all the stuff that we read for the podcast. That's stuff that I like to read um, on occasion. Next shelf down is my favorite political scientists and economists. After that, is mostly books for those grad school classes that I did not like and or books that the Mercatus Center gave me because they give you like 30 to 50 pounds of books over the course of any one of their fellowships. Stephen can attest to this. And then the bottom two shelves are sort of a scattering of uh, various fiction, mostly high fantasy, lots of Brandon Sanderson and Robert Jordan uh, mixed in there. And then in the Rest of the house, we have, of course, sort of our spiritual uh, and theology books. And then most of the rest is, uh, you know, high fancy literary fiction uh, that my wife reads over the course of her um, studies. Uh, but how about you? Hey, wait, you can't for, you can't forget the most fun shelf in your house, which are Sorry. your daughter's books. You are correct. The multiple shelves of hard board books, you know, of, of various levels of wear and tear, all due to love, of course, um, and sometimes throwing, but mostly love. And uh, slobber. Yes, and slobber. Um, we're mostly past that. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, so those those would be the sections of my home library. Um, how about you, Stephen? Yeah, so looking uh, doing a quick once over of my um, of my bookshelf in my office, the top one I would say is more like dry philosophy that I may or may not like. Um, mostly Mercatus stuff, um, as Brevin mentioned. Middle section, I would say kind of more serious academic or academic adjacent stuff that I do like. So either serious philosophy or literature. So I think like Dosto's there, Dan Foster Wallace, David Lehart, um, probably McIntyre. And then bottom shelf is um, kind of the the more enjoyable fantasy. So Robert Jordan, you mentioned, I, I love the Wheel of Time, so I have all that. Um, then a handful of other ones. And then I have only one other bookshelf, and that actually my parents got me the um, Harvard Classics, which is like 52 books of this. This one guy pretty much said, like, if you had five, I think five feet of uh, shelf space um, to put like the most important books in the Western canon, um, both literature and um, kind of nonfiction and whatnot, what would you do? And he compiled a list and it's now known as the Harvard Classics. My parents got me that. So I have a bookshelf dedicated to, to those. And then the rest of the books are in uh, boxes that I just haven't gotten around to unpacking because I've moved literally every single year for the past three or four years now. So uh, one loses motivation to unpack and repack books that you know you're not going to read. So in a bit of a, a flux at the moment. Yeah, man, you guys are so condensed. You'll see in a couple of weeks when you come to our 
through our place. So for the cons of our listener, my wife works in publishing. So we get, I mean, an ungodly amount of books. I mean, I, I, I wish I could categorize the shelves. Originally, our apartment, we in the in the living, we've got two bookcases. We had two bookcases. We've got one big one in the bedroom, which is like behind me. So that's like our political philosophy. Um, lots of like modern fiction is there. Some theology, more like devotions. There's like a shelf of my of all my music books, which is just kind of fun. What else is there? Yeah, journals, stuff, uh, the small self help books that we have, and then like more political theory, economics, and stuff is on a smaller bookshelf. The living room was originally like our literary fiction, our classic, and theology. Um, and then I have a small shelf also in the living room that we have labeled the meet and write shelf, which is all a podcast book. So it's McIntyre. It's basically all those books that are pointing at that one thing that we keep getting at that we ruminate on for way too long. Uh, that's out there. So um, that was the original plan. But I mean, at this point, every bookcase is, is two steps, is two layers deep with just so many books, modern books, classic books, lots of cookbooks, like from, from her work. It's fun, um, but we have too many books. Um, so at this point, almost every surface has, has books on it and, um, and it's, it's, it's just a completely different world. Um, and, and of course, because, I'm yeah. pretty sure that, that we're all of the same opinion that the problem with getting more bookshelves is that they inevitably fill up with books. The amount of books that you have grows to the size of your bookshelves and then exceeds them without fail. So it's very much a catch 22 trying to purchase any more bookshelves or find like a nice way to organize. Yes. Yeah, so we don't have much space for more bookshelves, which is fine. Cause we just, we just cram more books on the ones we already have simple so there you there you go yeah. uh, so among all of those piles of books sam uh as i'm mm -hmm. sure you you know you would freely admit there are many books in there that you have not read there are I, many uh, books the vast majority yes the vast majority but my question here is those particular books because we all have those books that we've told ourselves year in year out oh man i really gotta read that book it's like, ah, oh, it's been sitting there for too long. I should probably read yeah. that. But we never did. And we never have. Yeah. So, so my question is for all of us, what are our top shelf shames? What are those books? Oh, my gosh. When we look upon them and they look upon us, lonely, dusty, uh, spine unbroken, unbent from the shelf that they sit upon, that they mock us and they call to us and say, you failure. What are those books for you guys? Yeah. So I, I did this, I, I walked around the apartment before recording and I'm like, oh man, what's, what's calling out the shame? And there were, there were actually three that really stood out. I put two in the notes, but there are really three. Um, the first one is actually on our main bookshelf in the living room is the Souls of Needs and Reader, the, the great ISI books uh, published version. And I know I'm supposed to read him. I, I, am, I am acquainted with some, some people who are involved in the publication of that book i know he's important i feel like i owe so much to like, I, I feel like that we, we owe something to this book uh, that was written under such terrible circumstances and haven't haven't read it so that one's a guilty book the other one a couple years ago back when my wife was in finishing up her undergrad she took a class on russian novels and it was right after we got married and so we were like we we got really optimistic and we bought copies of the the four major russian novels that she was reading in that class so we have you guys can see it behind me right right there two copies of war and peace two copies of anna karenina two copies of crime and punishment and there's there are two copies of brothers k but the other one's somewhere um and i read half of war and peace gave up and then read all of crime and punishment while my wife read all four um and it would and i haven't i haven't touched my copy of anna karenina which is sitting there so we have one that is read entirely marked up and one pristine which is so sad uh, what, what about brothers k though 
What about Brothers I, K? I, I read, I read, uh, I read part of Brothers K when I was in college, and I didn't, I didn't get there this time around. I, I know. So that's the, that entire stack is just guilt. And the last one is it's a small book and it's sitting in our living room and it's called How to Listen to Jazz. I don't remember the author's name, but uh, my wife gave it to me a while ago and it looks wonderful. Um, it looks absolutely delightful. And I, and I've studied jazz. I love jazz and it just walks, walks through history with listening notes so you can listen along while you're reading the book. It's supposed to be wonderful. I've heard great things from um, a friend of mine who read it, and I haven't. And that's the one that every time I see it, I'm like, I just need to open it up and read it because it will make me better. I'll enjoy every second of it, and I just haven't. So there you go. You can hear this is this is honesty with our you know our our, our listeners. Um, we, we've gotten some very nice comments, heartfelt comments on what the podcast means to them. So here's here's me being vulnerable here on my on my reading uh, deficiencies. Those are my big guilty books. So my top shelf shame books uh probably two come to mind the eternal one is of course secular age which is sits by itself it's not on a shelf it's basically on a pedestal next to my desk right over here and i think maybe i tried to read part of the introduction and that's as far as i got before i got distracted and then have never opened it again so that is the one that eventually i'm sure we'll do for the podcast but that is the one that i always think uh, am i even a smart person if i haven't read secular age the other one is actually a series of three and this is one that i the hard thing is is that as i've become i don't know older and more set in my ways i just sort of care less and less for like the specifics of ideological conflict and like ideological purity and this one i think is something that i feel like i should know and would actually probably enjoy but it sort of falls into you know, a younger, uh, more firebrandy Brevin that I've left behind, at least in part. No, sorry, more refined firebrandy. I'm just evolving into a curmudgeon. Uh, but this is Main Currents of Marxism by Leszek Kolakowski, and it's three parts, and it goes mm. through basically every single aspect of the ideology of Marxism, uh, basically from like the earliest con conceptions of socialism all the way to the final end. And at least one of the questions I believe he was trying to answer in that series is, is Stalinism a legitimate philosophically outgrowth of the Marxist idea? Because one argument among the sort of more, you know, high-minded uh, Western Marxists of his time was something like Stalinism was an aberration. Marxism was never supposed to be like that. That was just an authoritarian dictator. Like we can just do normal socialism, Marxism, communism, and it'll all work out fine as long as we just don't do Stalinism. So he was trying to answer that question by just this huge project uh, that encapsulated, you know, just an incredible amount of work. And I have never read it. And I think it is something that I should have read a long time ago. I've had it on my shelf probably since sophomore year of college, which is more than like maybe seven years ago or something insane like that. So that I think, along with Secular Age, th those three books and Secular Age are my top shelf shames. As for me, so my shelf shames are typically uh, books that I've started and haven't finished. Um, and I'll go, I guess, from uh, from best to worst, um, uh, starting, well, quote unquote best, starting with uh, The Turn of the Screw. I mentioned it earlier. Basically, I, I picked it up right about halfway through and then put it down. But that's only been like six months. And so it's still sort of fresh. Um, I guess tied between that and I've been listening to a secular age and made it about a third of the way through and then stopped listening. So both of those are like sort of fresh and therefore kind of edging in on shame, but not quite there. Uh, propaganda, which I picked up and put down about, um, or Propaganda by uh, Jacques Ellul. Um, I picked up and put down about 
four or five years ago so that one the shame is uh is very real and then the biggest one the the greatest shame probably of my reading life in third grade i picked up the hobbit and i read it up until the last chapter and then i put it down and never picked it up again so sam you talked about being vulnerable that's me being vulnerable with you and the rest of the world I understand that this gets me canceled, part two, because I deserve it. This is worse than you causing COVID, Stephen. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> you could fix this in an, in like an, an afternoon. I, I you could read the whole book in an afternoon. It's very I short. No, it's so okay. it's so readable, and I just haven't gotten around to it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite you back for a Twilight Imperium game, but there isn't going to be one, and you're and I'm just going to sit you down, lock you in a room, and make you and read the, the Hobbit. Hobbit. <laughs> it would be for the best it would be better for everyone oh, if you were just gosh. locked in a room with only the hobbit that's so funny and then we can watch the movie uh why would we why would the, we the, the animated movie adults? right the animated movie obviously yeah yeah, I, I, yeah I, I i definitely don't want to get punished for having read the hobbit no no the anime, that one's great but anyway to, to close out the shame the other thing about the, the the thing that makes them shameful is I don't know what I'm actually going to read them. Despite the fact that I feel very bad for having not read them, I don't have any clear plans for solving any of those problems. No. I mean, saying that's 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 part of the nature of shame, I feel. Maybe there needs to be like a, a book priest that we can go and confess to. They can give us penance and that penance would be go read the book. Yeah, well, so actually the, um, the way that the book religion works is you don't so much just get forgiveness, you have to buy it. So the, the penance is going to a bookstore and just buying a book any book um so it, it's sort of like an indulgence it's, it's a thing that we catholics do we just can buy our way to heaven it, it's pretty cool but i understand if, if you know you guys don't have that uh but anyway let's talk about what we do want to do how we do want to improve ourselves and that is i i asked all of us to come up with three books that each of us intends to read this year besides our secret mystery book that will be revealed on uh the next episode of the podcast when we actually start on our proper book journey uh so i can go first i, I won't force someone else to uh so i have three books i'll just give a, a very short pitch for each of them uh the first is a book called anti-fragile uh by nicholas nassim taleb and this has been on my shelf for quite a while. I actually stole it from someone in my first things reading group in Boston by accident because I moved away before I gave it back to him. And so I still have it. But it's a book that I read maybe a third of and sort of like got really into it, at least a little bit. The concepts are quite interesting. Um, uh, the idea of fragility and especially of, you know, the, the way that religion is anti-fragile is just is such a cool set of concepts. Lindy, you know, it's a very... Very good, uh, what, like maybe 2019 to 2021 internet thing. Apparently, somehow, because of mentioning this to some people, I like became known as the anti-fragile person uh, to some friends of this podcast, actually. And I don't know where that came from, so I sort of feel the need to justify it. So that is one book that I want to read this year. The second is a book that won one of the top political science awards a couple of years ago called Capitalism Alone. And it's just sort of a modern, where are we now with with the our international economic system and as someone who works vaguely in that vein i'm like yeah i should read this also i asked for it for christmas so it's kind of a bad look if i ask for a book and then don't read it uh and then the final one is a fiction book called ministry of the future and the reason that i got this book is because i heard this author talk on the new humanitarian podcast uh, about his envisioned future you know world where everything is better 
uh, even with, you know, and like averts climate catastrophe because of this ministry of the future, which uh, sort of sounds like the UN just taking over everything, which uh, sounds awful. It also aligns very well with another book that I just finished that I quite enjoyed called Seeing Like a State. So I sort of want to hate read Ministry of the Future and then see if I can do some sort of a combo book review. Uh, so that's that's sort of a aspirational goal for this year. Uh, but those are my three books that I intend to read this year. Uh, at least those three, I will say. Uh, does he have, well, just real quick, does that yeah. author have humans eating bugs and being happy? I would not be surprised, uh, but I will, you know, go check and let you know. Okay. That's all they, they want probably, us to do. Yeah. They, they just they, want us to be happy and eat bugs. They certainly don't own anything. That's for sure. Steven. Yes. So uh, I have a few um, I got uh, or I requested for and uh, and, and got um, David Foster Wallace's Everything and More, which I believe was his last book that he ever wrote. Um, it's his um, history and kind of sort of biography of George Cantor, who was a, a mathematician in the 1900s, who laid down a lot of the um, kind of mathematical rigor for a lot of what we now regard as relatively-ish intuitive notions of infinity. Um, but back then were actually incredibly controversial and kind of Cantor took the math world by storm. It's it, it, it's interesting um, just reading how a lot of mathematicians and physicists really were taking him to task, but he emerged triumphant. And so um, I'm about probably a third of the way through, maybe maybe half the way through. Um, really fascinating read. Um, and it's also Dave Foster Wallace. And man, I'm just... And this is also, given it's his last book, he has completely matured. He has just his full skill that he's bringing to the table. And my goodness, it is just a breath of fresh air. Um, kind of opposite that, I picked up at the Mercatus Convention. They had a kind of a, uh, a set of free books that you could just pick up. And I saw uh, Weapons of Math Destruction by uh, Math, M-A-T-H, by Kathy O'Neill. Um, basically her taking big data to task. Um, I'm about probably two-thirds of the way through that one. Eh, it's all right. It wasn't quite everything I had hoped it to be. You can tell she's just not the best author in the world and isn't really bringing what I would call philosophical rigor to the um, to the table. She brings up some interesting points, though, and anyone who is willing to take big data to task, I'm, I'm at least going to be somewhat sympathetic with. And then I mentioned the Harvard uh, classics a while ago, and I'm, I'm actually trying to tackle those now. And the first on the list is um, uh, Benjamin Franklin's autobiography, and I'm about 10 pages in. And so far, it's actually pretty delightful. Um, yeah, he actually has a pretty, uh, a, a pretty, I would say, good spirit about him. Um, he's very grateful, very kind of like very quick to thank people for everything that he has been been given and whatnot for kind of life that he's uh, he's had. So, yeah, it's actually pretty delightful. And then I will give an honorable mention to my annual read of Canticle for Leibowitz. So, in, in I told myself in grad school, um, given that in, in grad math I, or grad kind of math slash science, I have to read a mechanical for Leibowitz every year. Just to keep you humble. Exactly. All right. And Mr. Sam. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm looking at books that I realistically will read there. also probably are more, but I know one that you guys it sounds so, so official. One I, I need to read is Radical Candor by Kim, Kim Scott, mainly for work. My, my boss has mentioned it almost every meeting I've had with him one-on-one -on -one in the past uh, couple, I guess a couple months. And so I should really give it a read about communication with employees. Pretty boring, but that's also something I want to get to later. So we can talk, we can put a pin in that. Um, I want to finally finish War and Peace. I got about halfway, two thirds through it a couple years ago, and it's it's time to finish it because I was thoroughly enjoying it. Um, and just need to circle back to that. And then a new one that I want to like, purchase if I need more books, but is uh, some, some, some solid Anglican theology. So Divine Law and Human Nature by Richard Hooker has been, my priest has recommended it to me 
I think most meetings I've had with him where I've gotten like, started getting really into like heady theology questions. He's like, okay, go read Richard Hooker and then we'll, then we'll talk. So that's on the list. And then of course, for all of us is blank book that we will be introducing soon. Which Indeed. is honestly probably out of all these one I'm most excited for. So. I, yes. I having read the, like reread the intro. Oh my gosh. I am so pumped. It's going to be so fun. I'm halfway through the first chapter and it's really good. How, yes, it is good. The text is so small. I don't understand how that can be allowed, how small the text You're, of this book is. You I read like the reading oh, okay. Also, you guys are getting old. Uh, yeah, we are. Uh, well, don't remind me. But speaking of reminding, Sam and Steven, anything else? Anything else on books? Anything else you want to you wanna bring to this quick little book list extravaganza? Um, I have two points. We can, we can go insert this in. We can go me, Steven, and then mine uh my, my my first one is i guess categorizing reading um this is kind of like amusing but i feel like there are so many different reasons for which one is to read that it's like i don't know it's hard to put it all into just like a, a book list like i've got my management books so i've got a stack of management books i'm supposed to read for work to make me more effective during the third of my life when i'm you know working with employees and trying to make them the best and also like they say myself um there are novels that like particularly my wife gives me she's a big literary fiction person she publishes literary fiction so she wants me to read a lot of the stuff and i want to to understand it even if i don't always but i've got a huge list of, of those books i'm supposed to read i've got philosophy for these deep questions you know read a secular age read um you know classics of philosophy um so i can sound smarter really uh, you got theology for spiritual fulfillment, not just like the academic side, but like actually growing to know um, God better. And then there's also the the constant audiobook I have going of Brandon Sanderson, just when I'm on the subway and just feel like putting something on and that's not a podcast. And those all feel like, I don't know, to me, they feel like they feel like they feel, feel significantly different purposes. And some of those purposes are analogous to, to things that are not books, like the, the audiobook while I'm commuting. I mean, is 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 analogous to a podcast just for enjoyment. A book that I read to make myself better, um, whether theology or more personal devotion, Christian living, fills a very similar place as as reading or learning a a a Bach piece on the piano. And so I'm just kind of curious, what do you guys like? How do you guys think about reading categories? Is that I'm not sure if this is coming across well, but. They feel so distinct that it's like, I, it's hard to like say, okay, well, I'm going to read this fantasy book and then this book of theology and then this, this philosophy book, but I also need to read this book for work somewhere in there. You know. Yeah, this was this was kind of touched on earlier in the in this episode of the pod, and it, it's a good point. I'm not quite sure what to do with it though. As you said, like, there are these kind of radically different uh, genres, everything from kind of fantasy, where you're you're reading it just for the sheer enjoyment of of reading, to kind of more rigorous philosophy, where you're doing it to kind of intellectually stretch yourself or quote unquote sound smart. Which let's admit it, it's not a bad side effect. Um, or theology words, no, we're working on our spiritual development, trying to go, grow closer with God, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, all of these seem to have very different purposes, all just kind of function within the medium of uh, of reading. Uh, like it's just it, it is text on a page that we're that is how we're absorbing whatever whatever content we're approaching although i almost i almost ha I, I think i somewhat hesitate to use the word content when it comes to reading that almost seems profane uh with whatever whatever reading itself is it's a very interesting question i think because the way that i think of reading i think is fairly shaped by undergraduate education where reading was something like an accomplishment and it was something 
sort of like a you know an, an arrow in in your quiver or a new argument that you could make or something that you could sort of definitively say improved you mostly along sort of the intellectual axis but i think in sort of doing that i almost transitioned away in a lot of ways from even reading as enjoyment which is more the fantasy side of things or the you know reading for spiritual formation which i definitely did i just almost didn't think of it as reading as a category the intellectual stuff that felt like projects like things that you should do sort of crowded out these other ways in which reading as as an activity is not sufficient to describe just calling it reading is not sufficient to describe the actual ends uh, that you're trying to pursue that they're divergent from the activity of of reading but nonetheless there is a unity in the reading activity finishing a book no matter what it is, does have a sense a sense of accomplishment, whether it's a fantasy book or you know um, uh, the interior castle or, or or something. So I think that's a quite a good way to think about it, Sam. I think that's a that's a helpful way to just remind oneself of the multifaceted um, ways that reading can manifest and be and be important, which sounds like I just said a lot of nothing, but uh, I think it's a good point. I, it, point. it does bring to mind, I remember when I was in high school, um, I mean, throughout childhood, um, kind of teenage years, I read extensively. I mean, just always had my nose in a book. Uh, I, I think I, I tracked it literally through 10th grade. I did not have a single teacher at some point upbraid me for reading while I should be paying attention to class. Like I just, I, I could not stop reading. Um, and then something happened around grade 11 or 12, where I, I actually chalk it up to AP language and comp and then AP lit, where I spent all the time reading the books I was supposed to read, um, for AP language comp, AP lit. And I hated those books. And so like, I read them because I was a, you know, nerd. Um, at least most of the books, I think there were a few books I kind of skipped through, but, uh, it, but like it actually did a good job of kind of eating away my love of reading. I'll give my other thought now because it kind of transitions nicely into like reading slump because when I, like, I graduated, did a postgraduate fellowship, which involved reading 50 books over four months. I mean, it was a lot of, it was a, it was a fair bit. And after that, I feel like I've been in, in what well, was like, a oh, I'm in like a, a six-month reading slump. Then I'm in a year-long reading slump. But I'm, I'm still working through things. Now I'm in a two-year reading slump. And now I'm into my three-year reading slump, um, which it feels like you can't really make any excuses anymore. I was comforted to learn this is not an uncommon phenomenon. Like people graduate and usually are like, okay, yeah, I'm... I don't feel the drive at the moment, but I wonder how we think about what the best way to, first of all, get out of those is. Um, and secondly, like even how to think about that. I, I think that you gave a really good point here about how, uh, you know, undergraduate conditions us to um, to think about it through like tasks and to accomplish the book. And now that you don't have that necessarily like taskmaster or that syllabus, the test at the end of the at the end of the tunnel um the the incentives need to be reworked and so that's maybe comforting also still troubling because that means there's still a lot of work to do so all i have to say is that this podcast has been probably a godsend in keeping me reading at least i mean i and i read more than just a book for the podcast but it's been like the main hefty book at any given time is usually for the pod oh i i certainly true for me as well <laughs> and i've i've wondered about this myself in that um, this actually fit, fits in quite nicely with one of the questions I had of, because I've had that reading slump pretty much post high school, maybe post college, like post college, I would read a lot of what my professors were giving me and whatnot, but didn't really do any leisure reading. And then found that my patience for reading after college was just not there anymore, including for a lot of the books I, I once loved. But also I wasn't reading as much the books I once loved. 
um, kind of the high fantasy Robert Jordan. I finished up Wheel of Time, but like that was that. So, I, you know, middle school, I read a ton of Star Wars novels. And I wasn't really reading those anymore. And I have to wonder, th there's two thoughts I have. First, there is the simple just busyness, hullabaloo of everyday adult life. You can kind of get away with reading a ton when you're zoning out at the teacher's lecture and just reading under your desk or whatever. Um, or when you get home at three and then you have, you know, two hours until dinner and all you have to do is read. So you read. With adult life, you don't quite have as much time. You get home from work, you're tired. And I have to imagine, like, there's some component of it that has to do with, like, TV, video games just being straight up more entertaining than a book. And so you just get outcompeted. But I also have to imagine that us three, we're not always going for the Robert Jordan high fantasy. Sure, it's like they're long books, but they're not necessarily what we would call like premium literature. Um, they're not Dosto or Jane Austen or, you know, insert name drop here. That's like considered part of the, the Western canon. It's more just it's fun. It's fun to read. They're not bad books. They're just not the best books. Um, so I have to wonder if it's also just the books we're trying to tackle that are in themselves just much more difficult to tackle. Um, Robert Jordan, you can burn through one of his thousand page novels probably in a, in a week if you're really determined. Try to do that with like David Foster Wall or Wallace. Yeah, good luck with that. You're not you're you're not going to be able to do that. Yeah, I will say I've never plumbed the uh, horrifying and unknown depths of sort of, you know, classic popular vapid nonfiction or whatever, like, you know, the Eat, Pray, Love type of book that sells a million copies or all of the manners of cuss riddled uh, <laughs> self-help books that have all come out in recent years, you know, like how to pull your shit together or, you know, anyway, there's that there's too many of them to name and they all sound exactly the same. And it's, you know, quite the pathetic marketing strategy. I did have a acquaintance in a group chat to like, oh, I got this really great book. It's, uh, you know, how to, the book was um, Zenith. That was the book. And it was basically like a coloring book. Like it wasn't even a journal or anything proper. It was just like a coloring book with swear words for 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 adults. And there's it was so and it, it was so sad. There's something just so superbly infantile about adults reading and doing those sort of self-help books that are like intentionally being trillish. There's just something so surreal about it. All right. Uh well, speaking of slumps, uh, we would Love to get out of the slump of this podcast, but to do that, we must go through rants. Steven, your rant. Uh, I have a rant that I've been storing up for a while, and it's actually a pretty feel-good one after uh, last week's more, admittedly, dour one. It's oldie but a goodie. Godzilla minus one. My goodness. So I saw it in theaters uh, mid-December, I think. And after the rather abysmal uh, showing of movies throughout the year of 2023 with a few exceptions here and there, Oppenheimer being one uh, shining example. My goodness, this was a breath of fresh air. Oh my gosh, like, it opens, it, it, this is what you find it within five minutes, Um, the, the main character is a failed kamikaze pilot, and he is struggling with survivor's guilt the entire time. And it's this fascinating character study, both concentrated on this young man kind of dealing with this, but also on a nation that's dealing with the collective guilt of what they have brought upon the world, and now there's this monstrosity that's heading towards them, just filled with the, it, it, this very moving um, kind of ethos of we need to choose life. Like we have chosen death for so long, it's time to choose life. Um, and it's one of the more moving films I've seen in quite some time. So I know it's, uh, it's probably out, or no, it's definitely out of theaters at this point, but if you can find it, through any reputable uh, website that you can find, seriously, like treat yourself to uh, to some Godzilla minus one. You you won't regret it. It's it's sincerely one of the more uh, 
more moving films I've seen for being a monster film. And that's saying something. Uh, but speaking of choosing life, uh, my rant is quite short, but many of my dear wife's college age, full on adult students uh, have chosen death and their manner of death that they have chosen is to use chat GPT, not once and then being warned about it, saying this is a failing offense. There were so many of you in the class that did this that we're not going to fail the entire class all at once. But just laying down the law that if anyone does this ever again in this class, you will fail this course and probably be expelled from the university. Uh, some of her students, one in particular, took that to heart and then immediately did the most blatant chat GPT cheating of all time and then lied to her face. Uh they have to submit in Google Docs and said student pasted his entire assignment into the Google Doc with the chat GPT headings, took them out, and then just changed like two words. And you could get the, basically the exact result from the prompt that the, that the students were given. So this little rat bastard is going to hopefully get what's coming to him. And uh, I am just looking forward uh, for the wrath of God to fall upon his head. Was this the student that she was saying was like super apologetic? Over, no, no, no. Over it? Okay. This is a different one. This is a different one. Wow. This is, but, yep. but she could go in because in Google Docs, you can go in and see the history, right? That's correct. You can. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Mr. Sam. So amazing. Sure. Um, my rant is, this is actually a rant against uh, TikTok. My brother-in-law got me a, a actually a very good christmas gift i don't have it with me i need to wash it but he got me a water bottle because he said you need to stop using that crusty old water bottle from your college that used to be black and it's now silver um because i've used it for years and all the paint has come off um and it's 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 old and so he got me a very nice mug a big big huge water bottle with a with a flip straw and i'm like this is great um, and they're from Seattle and I, and I enjoy it only to then be served countless videos mocking the Stanley mug, one of which he has just given me for my work calls because I need water during the day. <laughs> so now I'm in a dilemma because had I not seen this, I would feel great with my wonderful insulated water bottle that I could just drink on at my work calls. And instead I feel sheepish every single day. And I'm just, I'm just mad. So, How much? Anyway. I are you sure that this brother-in-law actually likes you? No. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you were you were building it up with the the mugs, and I just kept flashing back to to all the Babylon B articles recently about the Stanley mugs, and I was just like, Perfect. oh, I think Perfect. I know where this is going. Reader, Sam was checking behind so him for his be... wife to see if she heard that. <laughs> no, 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 she knows. But it's the thing is, it's so convenient. That's the problem. So, you know, there we are. Listener, Sam has just stood up and is doing a perfect floss. This is insane. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, so for everyone here at the Problem With Reading podcast, I'm Brevin. I'm Steven. Yeah, I'm Sam. And uh, get out there and, you know, maybe add us to your short list. Ah, the long list is fine. We'll take it. Sam, stop eating time cards. <laughs> <laughs>
It just well, feels cool. Audio looks a bit better than the rant. What? Audio uh, looks better than the rant. Make that your rant. Make it a better rant. 